Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, according to a recent survey, uh, over 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas this year. So roughly 9 in 10 of your neighbors around you celebrate, some, celebrate Christmas in some kind of fashion. The interesting thing is that only 22% of them can actually explain accurately what Christmas means. Uh, 75% may leave out few details, may get these stories slightly wrong, or actually not know anything at all. Uh, 31% said they could tell the story but miss some details. 25% said they could give you a quick overview. And 17% said they couldn't tell you anything about it at all. And yet, 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. We're in a series here at Southridge called God in Flesh. And during the series, what we're talking about is that God is not only, Jesus is not only divine, He's not only divinity, but he's also fully human. He connects with the human experience. Yes, Jesus is fully divine, but he's also fully human. And so for the first week, we said, in Jesus, we have a bleeding God. We looked at Jesus' crucifixion on a cross in which he literally gave his blood. The second week, we looked at a passage in John chapter 11 where Jesus loses a close friend and he weeps. And in case you want some trivia to impress your friends around the Christmas table, the shortest verse in the whole Bible in every translation is only two words. And it's the two words, Jesus wept. And so we looked at the weeping God. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus and he's in a boat. And we looked at Jesus, the sleeping God. And even though he's asleep, he's still active. For Christmas services, we're looking at the breathing God. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, you find different places where we find the breath of God. From God originally breathing life into Adam and Eve to the point where Jesus is literally born in a manger and as a human being, as a human baby, he gulps and he catches his first breath. Take a look at this short video that captures the beauty, the fullness of what a breathing God looks like throughout the scriptures. Shepherds watch their flocks by night. So do mothers watch their infants feeding and rocking and feeding again, watching their chests rise and fall. Inhale, exhale, I'm still here. Counting breaths is nerve-wracking work, and no less so because her son was prophesied and promised and anticipated by a nation, set aside for a work so great angels made the birth announcement. As Mary pondered in her heart, I wonder if she counted breaths and heartbeats and newborn sleep sounds, and perhaps she wondered why would Yahweh God confine himself to something as fragile as breath. This very thing that man's life is compared to because breath is short, passing, temporary. But the breath of God is something different. Inhale, exhale, 
He is here, breathing life into Adam and speaking creation into existence. God's breath brings beauty to the heavens and discovers the foundations of the world. It is the still small voice that restores Elijah's faith and resurrects a dead son. God's breath kindles coals, brings frost, and gives man understanding. God's breath brings life to the dry bones, raising up an army. It is a stream of brimstone that slays and consumes the wicked and destroys the lawless one. God breathes the Holy Spirit on the disciples and into the mud as he heals the blind man. He stills the storm, calls Lazarus from the tomb, and causes the devil to flee. As Mary counted breaths, she couldn't have known that one day her newborn son would breathe. It is finished. Or that he would take first breaths a second time over. Inhale, exhale. He is here. God in flesh, breath of our breath. So I'll some amount of our population can't fully explain, explain the Christmas story. We're actually going to try to look at what, who is this breathing God? Who is this Jesus that's born in a manger? So we're going to look at a couple of verses that you heard read earlier from Luke chapter 2. Uh, the first two things we're going to look at are somewhat negatively framed. We're going to look at the offense or the insult of Christmas as well as how it goes wrong. We're going to look at the revolt of Christmas. Then we're going to look at the glory and peace of Christmas. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 11. This is how Luke begins his account. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, when you hear those words, Luke introduces Jesus as the Savior, That sounds romantic. It may sound nostalgic. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Savior, born into Bethlehem's manger. And yet when you think about that word Savior, there's actually some level of concern that comes with that. It's not hidden. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Matthew also focuses on this idea of save. He says, she will give birth, referring to Mary, to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus actually means the Lord saves. Now, let me just kind of like put this in perspective for you, because if you understand Christmas, those two verses about a Savior being born should cause some level of offense in your understanding and in your being. That's actually somewhat insulting. Let me kind of put it to you this way. How many of you uh, will unwrap gifts maybe later on today, Christmas Eve? How many of you are Christmas Eve gift unwrappers? Anybody? How many of you are Christmas Day gift unwrappers? Okay, yeah, the majority of you. Good. Um, So so kind of like just follow along with me here. Suppose someone who knows you really well is giving you gifts and are saying, you know, I, I didn't go overly extravagant this year. Uh, But I chose to get you some gifts that would be really meaningful and especially helpful to you. And so why don't you start with the stocking stuffer? So you kind of like feel a little bit what's in the stocking. And the first thing that you pull out of the stocking is a toothbrush. Well, it's it's okay. I mean, stocking stuffers, it's allowed to have some stuff like that. The next thing you pull out is a bottle of Listerine mouthwash. Well, you're kind of like starting to, you know, kind of like... Hopefully, the trajectory of this changes. 
And you reach back in, because there's still a couple more items in there. And so the next thing you pull out is a bar of soap. And if there's still one more thing in there, you reach back in, and now you pull out a, a stick of deodorant. Well, like, so far it's not, go- like, you're beginning to be slightly insulted by what the person gave you for gifts. And now maybe it kind of goes on. There's a little bit bigger of a package there, and it's wrapped up, and you tear the wrapping paper off, and it's a book. And it's a book about how to show kind interest in others. Like if they ask, if they say something, if they they mention that they're going through a difficult time, here are five questions that you can use for follow-up to show that you care about them. And maybe there's another book there, and it says, here's how to lose 50 pounds. Well, you kind of like, the person says, okay, I mean, you did a great job. I still have one more huge gift for you. It's in the other room. You've got to tear it apart. It's a really large gift. So you go into the other room. You tear the paper off this massive gift on the floor. And here it's an exercise machine and also some dieting information. Uh, those gifts say something about what someone who knows you well thinks that you need, and it's not very good. Like, there's a level of insult to that. And here's the deal, friends. If you're not somewhat insulted and offended by a Savior being given, you have not understood Christmas. Because before anything, Christmas is an insult. Christmas is offensive. Because... Luke says a savior is born. The fact of the matter is from beginning to end of the scripture, we're told that as human beings, we fall short of God's glory. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're created as wonderful human beings designed to love and follow after God and receive life from him, to live in his presence, to live harmoniously with those around us, to be people filled with love and joy and peace toward others. But from Genesis 3 on, we're told that something's gone dramatically wrong. Listen to this verse in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Here's what it says. We're going to dive into this a little bit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The word heart there is not simply the organ that pumps blood. It's not what scripture means when it refers to heart, nor does it simply mean your emotional life. The heart in scripture is sort of the grand central station of who you are. It's the epicenter of your thoughts, your desires. The heart is humanity's innermost headquarters. So scripture says your innermost headquarters, your grand central station, the core of your desires, your inner workings, it's off. And Jeremiah uses two words to describe how off it is. The first word is akob, that word deceitful that you see in the screens. He says the heart is deceitful. That means it's sly, it's insidious, it's slippery. There's other places in scripture where that same word is translated uneven, bumpy, rough train. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, it's translated crooked or rough ground. And so scripture is saying, your heart, your epicenter, your grand central station, the grand central station of every human being, it's rough, 
It's bumpy. Listen, friends, your heart is slippery. I know mine is. It's got hidden motives. It's got manipulative tendencies. I'm kind and gracious as long as it's worth being kind and gracious. But there's darkness in me. And scripture says the epicenter of who you are as a human being, it's slippery. It's a rough road. Your heart is a bumpy place. It's not as smooth and clean flowing as it looks to those seated beside you right now. It's darker than that. Jeremiah uses this other word too, not only akob, deceitful, but he uses this word onash, which means beyond cure. It's actually a medical term. It means incurable, desperate, woeful, disastrous. We might say this, it, it says your heart, your internal being, this grand central station, it's inoperable. Basically, basically what Jeremiah is saying, your heart is too far gone. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, man, like, I didn't come to church on Christmas Eve to how bad I was. Uh, like, like, is this really where it's going? Well, yes, th- that's some bad news. But think about it this way. Some of you are turned off to church because religion and church has become a treadmill for self-righteousness. Follow me on this. If your heart is incurable, it means that there's nothing you can do. So the good news is, if your heart is inoperable, if your heart is incurable, that means there is no treadmill of moralistic righteousness that you should be put on to somehow gain favor with God. Every, uh, listen to this, listen to me. Every other religion and faith in the world offers a treadmill because here's what it says. It says, most every other religion says, God is not just a savior, he's a helper. Christianity does not say God is your sister. It says he's your savior. He's not just your helper, he's your savior. He's he's your savior so much so that the Christian faith does not offer a self-improvement plan. We know what weight loss plans are. Christianity says you're not capable in yourself of going on a sin loss program. And many churches and many faiths say, okay, here's your sin loss program. Here's what you've got to do. Why do they say that? Because they see the human heart as being curable. Scripture says, no, your heart is incurable. Therefore, you can't go on a sin loss program. You've got to go on a savior program. Does that make sense? So actually, the fact that your heart is incurable is actually good news. Because it means the last thing that you need is a treadmill of trying to improve yourself for God. So the heart, so Christmas, there's an offense. Secondly, there's a revolt. There's also the revolt of Christmas. Verse 11 again, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Some translations might have Christ. Uh, Christ is not simply a proper name. was actually sort of a title. Messiah is, is probably a better translation. And the whole idea was a Messiah. It was this. 
that Messiahs would come and liberate. In the time that this was written, the Jewish people were desiring a Messiah to overthrow Rome. And here's the deal with a Messiah. A Messiah would come and overthrow something so dramatically that literally everything would change. Would often be accompanied by violence and blood. Uh, There were many people who claimed to be messiahs in the day that this was written, and they were quickly executed and put to death and forgotten about. Messiahs led revolts. Messiahs turned people's worlds upside down. Messiahs didn't simply fix things up from the outward appearance. Messiahs literally turned the whole thing upside down. They reversed the order of how things were run. And so... Luke is telling us, yes, Jesus is a savior personally because your grand central station is inoperable, but he's also saying he enters our world and if he enters your reality, he's going to turn everything upside down. In other words, you no longer operate the way that you want to operate. You're no longer your own deal. The whole reality of the planet is literally turned upside down because Jesus came as a Messiah. It's all turned upside down. By the way, just real quick, that's one of the reasons why, if you've been around Southridge, you know that we're passionate about seeing how God's truth impacts every single area of life. From the most macro, external, invisible to the most micro, internal, and personal. Why? Because Jesus as Messiah turns everything upside down. And one of the ways that you know him is that you realize in your life things are turned upside down. Your your approach to money is upside down. Your approach to how you treat other people, how you might place them naturally on ladders of value, it's turned upside down. That's why we here at Southridge are passionate about the world and war-torn areas because we believe God has entered the world and he's turning everything upside down. And broken people, people's lives matter to him. Pain and suffering matter to him. Jesus wept. The whole world is turned upside down. Listen, friends, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah and they were looking for Rome to be overthrown and every moment of their day-to-day lives would be changed if a Messiah would have entered to overthrow the Roman government. Luke is saying a Messiah has entered. He's not going to overthrow the Roman government, but he overthrows all of reality. That which seems insignificant and doesn't matter now matters. The poor, the outcast, the stranger... The people that the world throws to the side that don't seem significant, those people matter. What's done in secret matters. How you handle your time, your money, what you do for entertainment, the things that you enjoy, the places your mind wanders to and delights in, all of that matters. It's all turned upside down because Jesus comes as Messiah. He comes as the breathing God. Well, those are the two negatives, the offense or insult of Christmas and the revolt. But also there's a couple positives here. The glory of Christmas. In Luke chapter 12, verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. You heard these verses read earlier. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. You're going to find a breathing God lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, here's verse 14. Listen to these words. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What do the angels, what does the angel say? It says, glory, praise be. This is one of God's shining moments. Praise be to God. And why is he praised? And notice the expanse of reality. Praise be to God in the highest of heaven. Because those in the lowest regions of earth are now connected with God. Glory to God because he has entered this world as a breathing God. The God of the highest heaven has in fact stepped down into humanity. When I was about probably 14 or 15, somewhere near, for a significant amount of my childhood, I went to a very, very small church, usually 40 to 50 people, something like that. And I remember this very, this guy who is kind of very small of stature, uh, very pleasant, very sweet, probably only about this tall, and he was just always had this kind of glowing beam on his face, and his name was Menno Shirk. I literally had not thought of him in probably decades, and I Googled his name yesterday and it actually came up because he was a folk artist. And apparently, even though he passed away a number of years ago, his folk art is still sold in a number of places. And I actually have a piece of his art in my home. And he was just this most beautiful, sweet-spirited, calm, just kind, innocent man. I can't even explain just the kind of the, the meekness of his presence. And I remember a story he told me one time. He grew up on a farm. And I remember him telling me that one of their pigs gave birth to a bunch of little piglets. And again, he just told me this with just this sweetest sense of demeanor and this sense of kindness and a sense of innocence. And I still remember how he told me this. And I don't want you to be offended by this, but I think you'll get the point. He said, these little pigs were born. And he said, I love them so much. And I hugged them so tightly. I remember his words. He said, I hugged them so tightly. Listen, I croaked them. I still remember him saying those words. I hugged them so tightly. I suffocated them. I killed them. My love for them was actually lethal to their lives. Listen, friends. The God of the highest heaven becomes the breathing God in the manger so that his love doesn't kill you, doesn't kill me. Throughout scripture, when people met God, God often came with fire, with the thunderstorm, with an earthquake. Every person in the Old Testament knew you cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Your life will disintegrate. 
Because the center of your being is incurable, because it's slippery, because it's off course, the moment you even just get a glimpse of the holiness of God, your life will be singed. You'll be croaked. That's the end of the story. Jesus came and he entered this world so that he could love you without croaking you. Listen to this. The glory in Jesus, the glory of God touches us without torching us. Without, with, without Jesus, the glory of God would torch us because we're slippery, we're incurable, but because of Jesus, the glory of God doesn't just torch us. Instead, it touches us through the person of Jesus, the breathing God. The glory of Christmas, lastly, and quickly, the peace of Christmas. Notice again that verse, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's a shocking statement. Jesus, the breathing God, is born into Bethlehem's manger. And instead of torching us, we're now touched with the glory and presence of God. And the only reason that can happen is because Jesus would live roughly 28 to 30 years walking the planet. He would heal the lame. He would give sight to the blind. He would feed the hungry. He would embrace the outsider. He would welcome those who didn't know what love was, to be loved by him. But eventually, he would become the bleeding God who would be executed on a Roman cross. And the message of scripture is this. The reason that he died was not for his own wrongdoing, but the moment of his crucifixion, he actually took on himself our crookedness. He took on himself our bumpiness. He took on himself the slipperiness of the human heart, the cursedness of sin on this planet. In fact, I would say it like this. The reason there can be peace on earth is because there would be a war on the cross. The reason the angels could say glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, the reason they could say peace on earth is because they knew that in 28 years, when Jesus was hanging on a cross, there would be war. Jesus would take the war of sin on himself. Liv alluded to it in the video. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 37 and 38, Jesus, Mark gives the account of Jesus on a cross, and here's what he says. Listen to this. Just tune into this. Matthew 15, Mark 15, 37 and 30, with a loud cry, listen to this, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The breathing God takes his first breath in a manger so that we're, we can be touched by God's glory rather than torched. 
He would live 28, 30 years. And he would be executed on a Roman cross. And he would breathe his last before his resurrection so that there could be peace on earth between God and human beings. I don't know what you know of the Christmas story, all the details. Have you dealt with the insult of Christmas, the offense of it? (laughs) That, That scripture says, your heart's slippery. Your heart's bumpy. Your heart's got a rough road. Jesus came not to make a few tweaks, but to turn the whole thing upside down. The last thing he came is to offer a treadmill of self-righteousness for self-improvement. Instead, he came to turn it all upside down. His love can be embraced because he came as a baby. You can be touched by his love. You can be held by his love rather than being croaked by it because he came in Bethlehem's manger. And you can have peace with the God who's angry at the destructiveness and violence of sin, not only in this world, but in the darkness of my own human heart as well. And his forgiveness and grace and peace is offered so that we can become his. My prayer is that you would embrace that as the reality and truth of Christmas, that you would have peace with God, that you would know his love because the breathing God came in Bethlehem's manger and breathed his last on a cross to take evil and sin on himself. I'm going to ask our team to come out and they're going to sing a song and you can sing a few words if you'd like. You can remain seated. But mostly this is a song that they just want to kind of bless you with and want it to wash over you. And so as you listen to it or if you want to sing along or let it, let the reality of it sink deeply into your soul. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. The first
going to give you a few moments to just talk to God, whatever that looks like in your heart. Maybe for some of you, you've never really come to terms with the slipperiness of your heart. And that Jesus is not simply a helper, he's a savior. He doesn't put you in a self-help, moralistic righteousness program. He's a savior. So maybe this is your moment to have peace with the God of the highest heaven because you embrace by faith the forgiveness offered in the breathing God who becomes the bleeding God. Maybe for others of us, we just whisper a prayer to God and say, God, not everything is turned upside down in my life. I still do my own deal. I still own my own being. I kind of run my life my way. And it's your moment to say, man, Jesus is a Messiah. He turns everything upside down. God, thank you that you, because of Jesus, the breathing God, your love can touch us without torching us. Thank you that we can know your embrace without you croaking us. Thank you that we can become your sons and daughters. In your name, amen. Well, this time we have our candle lighting. It's a special time here at Southridge. I'm going to ask the, those lighting the candles to come forward. And as they do, if you could simply remember to hold the lit candle upright and place the unlit one over that to just help us a little bit with kind of like wax in the floor and chairs and that sort of thing. And so if you could hold the um, lit candle upright and then the unlit candle, um, put that over. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John chapter three, verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God so hated the world that he murdered his son. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. God's not angry and in elbows about the world. He loves the world. He so loved the world that he gave his son. As this room fills with light, light is a symbol of life. In fact, life is not possible without light. Let's stand with our lit candles. And as the beauty of candlelight fills this room, may we be drawn into the beauty, the goodness of God's presence, of his love. Let's sing these songs, Silent Night, together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Prophet Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, not just a light, but a great light. On those living in the land, listen to this, not just of darkness, but of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Light pierces darkness. Jesus' grace His mercy, his forgiveness pierces the otherwise inoperableness of our human hearts. He's the only one who has the cure to the evil and sin in our world and in our lives. Let's take a moment and pray. You can pray with your eyes open. It's a little safer for the person in front of you. You can look at the candlelight or the Christmas trees or the cross behind me. God, we stand here in this place, God. We stand here on holy ground because you're, you were born here. The feet of God touched planet Earth. The lungs of God breathe the oxygen he had made. Thank you for not torching us with your holiness, but touching us with your love in the person of Jesus, the breathing God. Thank you for your last breath before your resurrection. Where you said, it is finished. And took on our evil, our wickedness, our incurability. We thank you for that. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You can blow out your candles and then join us for this final song of celebration of Christmas.
for joining us. If you could just join me in thanking our ushers, our greeters, our tech people, those on the stage. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. When you go, just a couple reminders. If you could detach the candle from the holder, put them in the receptacles in the foyer, that'd be awesome. We also have a little gift for you as you go. God bless and Merry Christmas.